Welcome to The Thought Card, a podcast about travel and money, where planning, saving, and creativity leads to affording travel, building wealth, and paying off debt. We are the Financially Savvy Travelers. Located in the heart of metropolitan Phoenix, Tempe, Arizona is a college town with a personality all its own. With 330 days of sunshine each year and the average temperature around 87 degrees, Tempe is a fun, refreshingly offbeat destination that embraces an active lifestyle and laid-back atmosphere. It's also a place where community matters. Splash around on a lake, explore miles of hiking and biking trails, chow down on delicious eats and not-so-typical treats cheer on your favorite sports team, or grab a cold one at one of the many craft breweries. But what you may not have realized is that Tempe has a vibrant arts and cultural scene. From performing arts to contemporary art, and even the natural beauty of the Sonoran Desert, in this episode, we're going to explore three Tempe attractions. I hope that after listening to this episode, Tempe, Arizona will be on your radar as a destination to visit and you'll add these specific arts and cultural attractions to your travel itinerary. A special thank you to Tempe Tourism for making this episode possible. First up is Desert Botanical Garden, a living museum which showcases over 50,000 desert plants in beautiful outdoor exhibits. Hi there, my name is Dana Terrazas. I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications at Desert Botanical Garden. The Desert Botanical Garden is like definitely one of those icons here in the valley. So it's just a beautiful desert oasis with 50,000 plants from around the world. So we are considered a living museum. So we have our beautiful native plants on display from across the world. We have thematic trails, but we also have so many different art exhibitions, events throughout the year, opportunities to engage in educational opportunities for families all the way up through lifelong learning. So it's just a really great place to come explore the desert and really experience these different types of programs that the garden has to offer. If folks have never heard of a living museum, what does that term mean? Indoor museum might have artwork on the walls and paintings and things like that, but we have accessioned plants. So our plants are a part of a collection. So we have 50,000 plants in our collection. And those are plants from the Sonoran Desert, but they also come from across the world. So we have plants from Africa and Australia and all different communities and environments. And we house them here in a living museum, an outdoor venue where the plants are alive and very much part of a museum collection. All right. Thank you for that explanation. So the garden features five thematic trails. Do you have a favorite trail? Oh, gosh, it's so hard to pick a favorite. I think it definitely depends on time of year for some of them. So we have a beautiful wildflower trail. So that definitely is in bloom in multiple different times of the year. But spring season, that is just gorgeous and beautiful. And it leads you to our butterfly pavilion. So we offer a fall and a spring butterfly exhibition. So you get to wander this beautiful trail filled with all these different desert blooms and then kind of immerse yourself into our butterfly gallery. So that's amazing. And then I have to say our heritage trail 
is just beautiful too. So it's the most historic part of the garden. If you've been here or not, you might have seen pictures of our cardones. They're these beautiful, tall cactus. Some think they're saguaros, but they're actually cardones that were planted 75 years ago, right when the garden was being built. So it's these just beautiful cactus and you sort of walk under them and go to the most historic part of the garden. So I love that trail as well. Is there a particular order that you'd recommend to hit the trail or it doesn't necessarily matter? Necessarily. We see most visitors need about 90 minutes. And of course, you know, you could knock it out in 30 if you're just kind of quick taking some pictures for Instagram or if you'd really like to spend the day, you could absolutely do that. But we have something called our desert portals. So as you enter the garden, that's an experience in itself that just kind of sets the stage for what you're about to see. But at the portal, you can kind of choose your destination. So Whichever trail you'd like to start on, there's a way to get back to the center and kind of then experience the other trails. So it really depends on your mood for the day and what you want to sort of catch first. Different times of the year, we might have our Cactus Clubhouse. It's available for children open. So if you've got little ones with you, you might want to hit the kids' activities first before they get a little sleepy. If you've got more time to explore, you might start at the back of the garden and work your way out and end with a nice lunch or cocktail at Gertrude's. Excellent. That sounds like so much fun. And I'm like imagining what it would look like. So amazing, amazing. So there are over 400 rare and endangered species at the garden. What are some of the unique plants you'd like listeners to know about? So if you haven't been to Arizona or the garden before, obviously an icon for the valley is the saguaro cactus. So we have saguaros throughout the garden, which are beautiful to see. We have something at the back of the garden that we refer to as our butte, which is a butte here in Papago Park. And that is filled with beautiful saguaro cactus. So to be able to experience that is, you know, very special to be able to see it. But then throughout the grounds, like I mentioned, there's 50,000 plants. It's hard to kind of pick your favorites, but we have beautiful prickly pear that bloom throughout the different seasons, acatillos. We have the largest agave collection in the world. So outside of our cactus collection, which we have at least 15,000 cactus, specifically types of cactus in our collection, we have about 200 agaves that are rare and endangered also on display. So being able to see those are just amazing. And then maybe a little lesser known plant. For me, it feels like a plant that you'd see in a Dr. Seuss book. It's called a bujum tree. So they're really fun and definitely distinct when you see them. And we have about five in the garden. So it's sort of like a little treasure hunt to find the five bujum trees, I think. (laughs) So the garden features a variety of exhibits. Can you tell us more about them? Yeah, the garden exists not only to kind of display these beautiful, rare and endangered plants and keep them protected for future generations, but we want to be a compelling attraction for our community. So one of the things we've been doing for about 15 years is displaying specific artwork in the garden. And we're really excited this particular year. We're bringing back glass artist Dale Chihuly, who's known across the world for his beautiful glass displays in museums. He has his museum and gallery space in Seattle, Washington. Or if you've been to Las Vegas, if you've seen the beautiful ceilings in the Bellagio Resort, those are Dale Chihuly's work. So he will be back. This is the third time the garden will present him. We will have multiple installations within the garden trails, but we'll also have an interior gallery as well. And what's extra special this year is we're partnering up with our friends at Frank Lloyd Wright's Talias and West. And there will also be pieces of Dale Chihuly's work available on site. So you have to come see it at the garden but go see it at Taliesin West too. So that's just an example of some of the work that we present, but we've had 
artists that have displayed across the world from Bruce Monroe to Cracking Art, who is based in Italy. And we have many more artists to come. So to see art in a museum is really special and beautiful, but to see it out in this desert landscape environment just kind of elevates it to a whole nother level. Yes. And you know, as I was browsing your Instagram channel, it really surprised me because it's like the landscape is art, right? It was so surprising because I've never seen a botanical garden where the way that the plants are just situated, it's just so beautiful and so captivating. So a question I had for, I'm thinking listeners will have this is, do you have any virtual events or virtual things that if people are like, hey, I won't necessarily be able to get to Tempe right now or Phoenix right now, that I can still experience the garden? What we are launching in 2022 is a curiosity program. So if you are across the country and you can't make it to Arizona, there's going to be some new things that we're going to be exclusively pushing out by the video. So more to come on that. But yeah, check out YouTube first before that comes online. But that's a good way. And there's some virtual tours that are available through our YouTube page. When that curiosity program launches, that might be a fun thing to participate in. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Now, what's the most surprising thing that visitors will find when they visit the Desert Botanical Garden? I think one thing that's most surprising, and I've lived in Arizona my, almost my whole life, but didn't realize this until I worked at the garden, is that cactus are the fifth most endangered organism. So when you think about the fourth most endangered, it's coral and coral reefs, and we are all aware of that, and the animals that are endangered, but cactus themselves are endangered. And surprisingly, it's not just from growth or climate change. It could have a lot to do lately with the, as many forests and wildfires that we've had here in Arizona, but it's actually from poaching. So there's individuals that are looking for these rare cactus from other countries or parts of the world, and they are removing them from their natural environments and bringing them back to an environment that they can't really thrive and sustain in. So I would share that message that cactus are endangered. I think especially living in Arizona, you see so many, it's like, there's no way, there's so many that we, we need to protect these cactus for future generations because they are endangered right now. All right. And my last question is, what's the Sonoran Desert like? If someone has never been to Arizona and visited the desert, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Is it hot? Should we be bringing our sunscreen with us? Tell us all the things. Absolutely. So first I'll say so many people are like, oh, the desert must be just so dark and just like dusty and just boring. But if you've looked at our Instagram page or any of our social media, the desert is alive and it is beautiful and filled with colors. So, you know, so many different shades of green, the sunsets are unbeatable and the cactus blooms and the plants that we have are filled with every color that you can imagine. So just a beautiful, vibrant community and environment here. But yes, we are hot, but that's okay because we're not humid. So it won't be snowing in the winter. So you can come wear a pair of shorts and a tank top, check out the garden with your sunscreen on. And pretty much, I'd say 10 months of the year, it's just perfect weather. And yes, it's warm, but you learn to survive those hot days since we're not shoveling snow. All right. Well, thank you again, Dana, for coming on. This was really fun. I really enjoyed learning all about the Desert Botanical Garden. Can you let folks know how they can connect with you online? Absolutely. So check out dbg.org on that homepage of our website 
website. You can find our social channels. We're on everything from Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And we would love to eventually see you at the garden. So please make your trip to Arizona, visit the garden. And if you can't make it, stay tuned for that curiosity program. You can tune in from your home. Next, we're heading to ASU Gamage, a historic performing arts center, bringing Broadway's best to Arizona. My name is Colleen Jennings Rogensock. I am the Vice President of Cultural Affairs at Arizona State University and Executive Director at ASU Gamage. I think one of the things that's really amazing about ASU Gamage, it was built in 1964. It was the last architectural structure that Frank Lloyd Wright, the famed American architect, had a hand in and the then president of Arizona State University, President Gamage. It was actually designed to be the opera house in Baghdad. And then King Faisal II was deposed. And so it never happened. As luck would have it, Frank Lloyd Wright and President Gamage were dear friends, and President Gamage believed that a great university should have a great performing arts center. Lo and behold, we received Gamage. And among all of the many accolades for Gamage, one of the little known facts is there are 27 different shades of terracotta in the building. So I would defy anyone to come and pick out those 27 shades. Where we are today is ASU Gamage is an internationally recognized performing arts center, the largest one in the American Southwest. We commission work, present work. We are the number one touring Broadway house in the country. We also commission artists to be with us over an extended period of time to just work on projects and do a number of things. We see 35 thousand school children in the course of a year in terms of their arts education program. We've also been in the Australia Correctional Facility for over two decades and have worked with women who have been incarcerated, helping them to take off their mask of victimhood. We received Emmys and a number of other awards for our work and our filming of our work that we have done in the Australia Correctional Facility. We are great partners across the entire spectrum of Arizona State University, which is the largest university in the country. It also, it has a global reach. So a lot of our partnerships are also global in nature, as well as a multiplicity of campuses here in the Valley, in LA, in New York, in London, in Nairobi, and so forth and so on. It's a great extension. ASU Gamage will bring a wide array of shows from Hamilton, fresh off of its run on Broadway, to return the engagement here. We also remount national tours, which is an honor not given to many theaters. So with the advent of COVID, as Broadway is reopening again, we are remounting several national tours for the road. And then most recently, Mean Girls going out, which means a company comes in, they're with us for a period of time, then we run them, and then they're pushed out of the nest and onward. In addition to those kinds of things, Gamage also has a program called Beyond, and that means Beyond Broadway. And so we have artists such as Bill T. Jones. We have artists such as the New York Philharmonic. We have a number of artists who come and spend a great deal of time with us in residency, in performances, and working not only with students in master classes, but the greater community. And Bogart, arguably one of America's finest directors, came to do three works over a three-year period of time. And she conducted directing workshops. And we had people come from San Francisco, LA, Vegas, Seattle. So those things happen. But in addition to the kinds of traditional works you see 
on the stage. We also are a place of honor. So when Senator Goldwater, Arizona's favorite son, passed away, he requested that he be laid to rest and honored at ASU Gamage. So it was the first time in the history of the state of Arizona that the entire House and Senate came to ASU Gamage to send our favorite son off to his homegoing. We've also naturalized citizens, sworn in the Arizona bar. We hosted the presidential debate where 3,500 members of the international press, including Al Jazeera, were at ASU Gamage for that presidential debate. So there's a number of things that happen at Gamage that span from traditional culture, innovative culture, world-renowned moments of importance as we move ahead. Very, very impressive. Now, you mentioned that at Gamage, you have Broadway features, such example, like Hamilton and Mean Girls. So you're bringing the best of Broadway to Arizona. What other types of Broadway shows have been featured at the Performing Arts Center? Other kinds of shows include The Lion King, which will also mark a return next summer with us. And it's such an amazing show, but it requires that you have aisles. So what people don't realize is we have continental seating. So the seating goes straight across with no aisles. We actually removed 268 seats out of Gamage to have that show. No small feedback because it is an historic building. So each chair, while they look identical, are just slightly that much different. So every chair has to be placed in its own box because trust me, the first time we did it, we didn't do that. And so now we know they all have to be in boxes. So things such as that and new work like Spring Awakening. And and not only do we have those kinds of things, but we hold auditions for companies that are looking to fill roles while they're on the road. And we last year had six Arizona artists on Broadway, I should say two years ago because of the pandemic, doing roles. And some of those individuals started out with us with a program we call the ASU Gamage High School Musical Theater Awards. And we have high schools up to 26. We're now, we did 28 last year, audition with the musical that their high school did. We pick the best female, the best male, and we send them to New York where they compete with other students from around the country. We have had students from our High School Musical Theater Award go from that award to roles in Dear Evan Hansen, roles in Spring Awakening, roles in Almost Famous. We are very proud of that. And I even have a New York producer that says, hey, if I need someone, I call Colleen and say, who's in the High School Musical Theater Awards? Because you guys have the best. So we do those kinds of things. And we think of it as our High School Tony Awards. We also, in terms of Broadway, play a role. I am on the board of directors of the Broadway League. I am honored to be the only Tony voter in the state of Arizona. So I represent, represent. A little small known fact is that when I do the Tonys and do the red carpet, my gowns are designed by Arizona designers. So many Arizona designers, I've been able to give them their first quote unquote, first big dress and kind of send them on their way, which is really an exciting thing to do. We also have looked at school and school is so important and how our students learn. And we have a program called Performances for Students, the Molly Blank program, Performances for Students. And we bring students not only to Gamage to see performances, but we build curriculum so their teachers 
can teach in those performances. We're a member of the Kennedy Center in Performing Arts Schools. There's only 21 in the country, and we are one with the Mesa Public Schools. We also find a time to teach teachers to teach the arts and teach artists to become teachers. So we have 150 teaching artists who worked at work throughout the pandemic, which was extraordinary. Speaking of which, we have also learned how to become television studios. So during the time when people were struggling and trying to figure out what to do with COVID, we actually turned our crews into television crews and we streamed live 190 performances. And we did that nationally and internationally. We had four states where they tied into our schools programs so their students could have schools programs. So we are kind of a very busy group at ASU Gamut. Incredible and so, so, so inspiring. So in addition to the Broadway shows, what other types of performances can visitors expect as well? So one of the things is we are also home to the large ensembles at the Arizona State University School of Music. So you can come and hear symphonies, You can hear the Choral Union. You can hear the Wind Symphony. You can hear a number, the organ. We have a great organ program. And in Gamage itself, in the shell, the 80-ton shell that is upstage, we house an Alio Skinner organ. There are not that many left. And we have 3,015 pipes put in there. So it is one of those places where you can come and hear great organ music. And our graduate organ students actually do concerts there. We do a number of things that we just ask people to drop by. We do brown bag lunches. We do open tech rehearsals. We have a series of concerts so that everyone can have a chance to do it. In addition to the performance work, we have a visual arts program. And so when you come to Gamage and you walk through the lobby and the Grand Tier and the balcony, you will see on the wall works done by Arizona artists. So we tend to focus on collectives, whether it's photography collectives or watercolor collectives on those walls. We do have spaces for really big work. So on occasion, we will invite in a visual artist from across the country or from around the world. We try to tie into a number of programs that ASU does, like we honor Dr. King and Dr. King's legacy. I happen to chair that committee. So we have our students, our young students, K through 12, do servant leadership representations. Some of it is writing, some of it is three-dimensional, some of it is interactive work, and we post that work on the walls. We have also worked with our Journey Home program where the women in the Australia Correctional Facility make art, and we put that art on the wall. There are only a handful of permanent pieces in Gamage, so I want to let you know how important this is. We have a bust of Frank Lloyd Wright. We have a bronze bust of President Gamage. We have a portrait of Mrs. Gamage in our Gamage lobby, and Kate Gamage was the first development officer at Arizona State University. So she was really the first lady of development, and her portrait is in that gallery. And as well as David Scular and Mrs. Scular, David Scular was my predecessor and the very first director of Gamage. His portrait is there. And then on the center staircase, Victoria Clinto, who was an inmate at the Australia Correctional Facility, came out, went to college, 
learned how to do visual arts, came back and worked in our program and had the inmates create this beautiful tree that is like a woman raising her arms. And each square is done by a different inmate. And it is on the center staircase lobby. That is all that's permanent. Everything else shifts. So it's just how important the Journey Home program is and how important artists are in our valley and that artists are in our valley and that people understand that. And they vary in ages. Now, we'll make sure to have some photos of ASU Gamage in the show notes because I definitely want to see all of the visuals that's going on. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. Is there anything else that you'd want our listeners to know? I want our listeners to know that our mission is connecting communities. So we look at connecting communities internal to ASU, faculty, staff, and students, external to ASU, various communities, uh, various religions and race and neighborhoods and things. So that's very important to us. It is also very important to us that everyone understand we are committed to the ASU charter, that we are measured and valued by whom we include not whom we exclude, and the success of those we include. And I have to tell you, you can go on no better journey than to come to ASU Gamage. And when I said to several artists who come and perform, I said, understand, we have gone through two pandemics, the pandemic of COVID-19 and the pandemic of systemic racism. You are the second responders. You are the ones that make us laugh, make us cry, challenge us, help us to understand how we work together and are together. So I think that's very important and it guides everything that we do here. Lastly, we have ASU Art Museum, a university art museum of the future, pioneering new models of arts learning and innovative approaches to contemporary art. My name is Mickey Garcia. I'm the director at the Arizona State University Art Museum. So Arizona State University Art Museum was founded in 1950. It is a university that really sees itself as one that enacts the charter of ASU, which is that we do not define ourselves by whom we exclude, but whom we include and how well they succeed. So that is the overarching core value of Arizona State University. And the museum implements that using art and objects to tell stories, to include various perspectives, and to be really a teaching tool for both scholars, students, audiences, as well as communities who are part of the larger fabric of education and existence in Arizona. ASU has year-round exhibitions that rotate seasonally. What types of exhibitions and mediums can visitors expect when they visit? That's right. ASU Art Museum has many galleries where we show both temporary exhibitions as well as long-term public art exhibitions. We show work by a variety of artists and disciplines and perspectives, anything ranging from sculpture to painting, installation, public art. Our strengths here at the University Art Museum are prints and drawings. We have a beautiful prints and drawings study center that you can make an appointment and come see. We have one of the best 20th century craft and ceramics collections in the country. And we have a very vibrant Latinx, Latin American commitment to artists of our region 
And we also commission a lot of new work. That is to say that we invite many artists from around the world to come be with us here in Tempe in residence to learn from the city, ASU, and make new, never-before-seen work that we feature in our galleries. Now, ASU Art Museum is coined the University Art Museum of the Future, where you not only embrace new methodologies, but also aim to make authentic connections through art and storytelling. So what does that mean? And why is disrupting the classic museum model so important? We are at an urgent point in our society, and we are also embedded in a university where we're always learning from the next generation of students and what their demands and desires are for a better world. And they've made it very clear that institutions of authority, like museums, have failed them, have failed to be inclusive for all people. And they are demanding that museums change from a model in which museums hoard all the expertise, that is to say that only curators know what's best, from museums that are very shrouded in mystery, how do shows get produced? Why do certain artists get shown? From museums that have very little diversity in their decision-making, boards, staff, exhibition programs, These are the classical models that are really being challenged by our generation, by our next generation of students and audiences who want to see museums speak for them and be about them. And we will verge on irrelevancy if museums do not face these challenges. What's really amazing about ASU Art Museum is that we are in a setting here at ASU in which we have We graduate more first-generation students than any other university in the country. We are voted the most innovative university seven times in a year. We have these tent poles of innovation and inclusion that define our culture. And we're also in Arizona, a place that's about breaking tradition, disrupting, and thinking about what maybe the East and West Coast doesn't have the ability to do because of legacy and tradition. Here in Arizona, we can reimagine what the future looks like. We already are a bellwether for so many things around politics, climate justice, why not the arts? We see the ASU Art Museum as really an incubator and a testing place where we can rethink what it means to be a museum for all. And we actually have had over 20 years of commitment to making sure that the exhibitions we do, that the stories that we center are really reflections of the people in our region and the art of our time and the issues of our time. Excellent. Excellent. Very inspiring. Very, very inspiring. So throughout the episode, we are featuring art in Tempe. So do you work with local Tempe artists? And if so, what types of artists do you work with? We do indeed work with Tempe artists. I can tell you that just this summer, we worked with Kristen Bauer and Emmett Potter. They were included in a series of exhibitions that was called Pilot Projects. And it was a series of responsive, adaptive projects that were in response to COVID-19 closures and also the murder of George Floyd and so many others. We wanted to be agile and flexible. So we turned to a lot of local artists, both in Tempe as well as beyond in the Greater Valley, to come and make things like film, sculpture, painting all outside so that people could see them throughout the year. 
we did that. And we have worked with many Tempe artists throughout. What we do is we don't consider ourselves a specifically local art museum. What we want to do is bring the artists who are making amazing artwork in our city in conversation with national and international artists so that we can be part of a larger conversation. And we do that all the time. All right. Is there anything else that you'd like listeners to know about ASU Art Museum? ASU Art Museum right now is this hidden jewel that we're really trying to make everyone learn about. It's free. We are free and always open to the public. And we're really interested in getting viewer feedback. What do you want from a museum? Come and tell us. We're all ears. Now, I'd love to hear from you, Financial Savvy Travelers. Which of these attractions are you most excited to check out? Maybe you have one in particular or you're geeked out about all of them just like me. Tweet me at The Thought Card or slide in my DMs on Instagram at the Danielle Desir. To learn more about Tempe, Arizona, visit TempeTourism.com and follow on Instagram at TempeTourism. I hope you enjoyed this episode, but don't forget there's way more where that came from. When you become a supporter of the show, you'll get bonus episodes, additional tips on affording travel, real-time updates, as well as strategies for building wealth and creating multiple income streams. Head over to thoughtcard.com forward slash join to support. Also, be sure to follow me on Instagram. I'm at the Danielle Desir. Slide in my DMs and share with me your thoughts about this episode. What did you enjoy? What stood out to you? Let me know. I'd absolutely love to connect with you outside of the podcast. See you in the next one.